Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. God? What is God's name? Do you call God by name? By what name do you call God? Maybe let's do that. By what name do you call God? What is God's name that rings to you this morning? There's a headline out there today um, that a nurse and her child have been uh, kidnapped in Haiti. Um, We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. It's an unfolding story. Um, But I want to highlight this right now. When you hear and when the world hears, when the secular world hears that this person works for an organization called El Roy, um, you need to be prepared to say to people, do you know that that's a name of God? Do you know that that is the God who sees? It comes from Genesis 16, 13. It's the story of Hagar. And she's desperate. Um, and God sees her, and God reveals himself as El Roy, R-O-I. You can think of return on investment, El Roy. El Roy, the God who sees. God sees you. That's the message. God sees this woman who's been kidnapped. God sees her circumstance. God sees exactly where she is. God sees this child and knows their fear also knows the comfort of a present mother. Right now, God sees you. Wherever you are, in whatever circumstance you find yourself, right now, God sees you. He is Elroy. God sees you thoroughly. There's nothing about you that God doesn't see. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and he loves you. God sees you, and God loves you. From beginning to end. From the foundations of the earth, to your conception, to the circumstances of your conception, to your birth. God sees you. At the cellular level, God knit you together in your mother's womb. God sees you. He is El Roy. So when you hear this headline today, and you just hear El Roy roll off, uh, you know, the, the, the tongue of a journalist or a commentator or a person out there in the culture... Please lean in and ask the question, do you know what that means? She works for an organization called Elroy Haiti. What, what, do you know what that means? Elroy is the God who sees. Again, the referent is from Genesis chapter 16, if you want to go and study that for yourself today. Waiting in the wings, uh, Dr. Linda Mental. We love having conversations with Linda. Um, how are you aging I mean, you are aging. I don't know if this is news to you this morning, but you are aging. I am aging. Um, You know, there are, well, lines. Let's just say there are lines. There are lines. Um, I have crossed many of them. I have crossed the hair turning gray line. 
I have turned, I have crossed the laugh line, the furrowed brow line. Yeah, I, I, there, there are, there are lines. <clears throat> I have crossed them, many of them. Um, we can age well. So we're going to talk about aging, not just aging, but aging well. That's up next with Dr. Linda Mental. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is joining us now. Linda, we have crossed some lines, some lines of aging. We thought we would have you on to help us age well. <laughs> Gosh, I know it's all relative, isn't it? When you hear these mm-hmm. athletes who are like 30 years old and they're like, oh, Retiring. they're too old. They, they can't do this anymore. They can't yeah. move the way they used to it. I just laugh and go, oh, if I could only be 30 years old, yeah, I could right? move a whole lot better than I am now. But there are a lot of things that you can do as you're aging that can make life better. And, and let's just, let's just do a little bit of a a context for uh, sort of what prompted uh, me to write about this. Before the pandemic, uh, Carmen, our former Surgeon General uh, Vivek Murthy decided that he would do a listening tour of America. And he wanted to find out what do most Americans feel is the most prominent public health concern of the day. So he interviewed a lot of people, and he was very surprised by what he heard. He thought people would identify heart disease or diabetes or cardio, you know, um, some type of uh, physical ailment uh, that, you know, cancer that has not been cured, that type of thing. And what he found is that people identified the problem of loneliness. And so as I have been thinking about that in many ways, and then we certainly know what happened during the pandemic when so many people were isolated and lonely and living in their homes, and then we saw the fallout of that on so many levels in terms of our own health and mental health and relationships and all that was involved with that. So I I looked at some of this data, and there was a really great study that was done in Canada with about 7,000 people, and they were middle-aged and older, and they looked at what were the factors that kept these people from having fewer physical complaints and feeling better about going forward into aging. And what they found were pretty much two significant things. One was related to that that listening tour that Dr. Murthy uh, went on. And that first one was social engagement with other people. And we know from, you know, the times that we visit nursing homes and we look at people who are very elderly, when they're alone and they're not engaged, they just do so much worse than if they're around people and they have grandkids and people that they're, you know, they're involving with. And if they're in a social setting, sometimes we're so, we're, you know, we're we're reticent to put someone into an assisted living or a setting, but at times that can be helpful because they have people that they can talk to, they can engage with, they can play games with, they can talk at coffee or whatever they, you know, can do socially. So social activity is is a real key, and it's also tied to volunteering. And so, wow, we have such an opportunity in the church, don't we, to engage people? Because most churches that I know are constantly asking for volunteers, whether it's helping with the soup kitchen or, you know, the teen group or trying to go and and help some families that are struggling financially, whatever it is, there are multiple, multiple opportunities 
for people to engage in volunteering. So if you just look at those two variables, and there's more that we can talk about that is involved in healthy aging as well, but those two things, being socially active and in volunteering for people with people, seem to be two of the keys to aging well. Is it serving others or is it is it expressly volunteering? Because I'm wondering if um, I think I, I know a number of people who are aging and they are serving someone else. But because that is kind of a captive experience, I'm not sure that it is as life giving as, quote unquote, volunteering where you are serving others, but you're doing so like outside of where you feel like you have to. Does, is there a. Well- is there a want to have to thing here? There, there, it's it's a little bit of a difference, but it's not. It still has the the same impact because mm. when you're volunteering and you're getting out, obviously that gets you from sitting someplace and vegetating on a couch or you know binging Netflix or whatever you might be doing, right? So getting out and being with other people certainly has a, a great benefit. But you could be somewhat. Um, shut in or or maybe you're struggling with a physical disability or something but maybe you're writing cards to a ch- mm. you know children at a children's hospital and you're organizing a drive that would get these cards in and you have people come to you and maybe there there are other kids coloring from your your neighborhood or your your church's you know children's group and they're coloring and they're sending you the cards and you're part of that Part of what that does is it's the serving of other people, and this is such a biblical, um, you know, concept. And yet, the the secular culture is has just caught on to this idea that when you give of yourself to someone else in any capacity, it affects your mental health in such a significant, positive way. And so, how you do that is less important than you are now. Getting out and being among people. Yes, that's probably a double benefit of that. But it's really the attitude of your servant's heart and how that's being expressed in whatever activities that you can do. And you that's what I'm saying. You could do that with people who are not very mobile, who are maybe struggling to get to events or don't have access to certain you know places because of transportation. They can still be involved and there can still be community efforts to engage those people and get them into a better uh, place in their health and their mental health. All right, so I want you to think for a moment about someone you know um, who is aging. Well, that's everybody. So somebody that you know who is currently socially isolated um, in part because of their age. They've aged out of something. Maybe they've aged out of work or they've aged out of a group they were once a part of or they've aged out of an activity that they used to find very enriching and life-giving. So I want you to think for a moment about somebody that you know who's in some way aged out of something. And then I want you to consider how you could re-engage with them. Could you think of a creative way to reach out today to someone who feels like they've aged out? Maybe they feel like they've aged out of church. Maybe they feel like they've aged out of something that, um, some activity that they used to find meaningful. How could you re-engage with them today? And maybe it's that you could um, find a way to help them find a place of active service to others, either from right where they are or by, um, you know, introducing them to an opportunity in in your community. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental here in just a moment. Do you feel stuck? Ooh, maybe you're in the sandwich generation and you are caring for grandparents or parents or children or grandchildren and you're feeling kind of stuck in all of that. 
That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. You feel stuck. You feel stuck at home. You feel stuck in a particular responsibility loop. Dr. Linda Mental is going to um, help us with our feelings of stuckness today. Linda, what are we talking about? Who are we talking about? What are the circumstances that leave us feeling stuck? Well, in terms of uh, dealing with elderly parents, a lot of times we, we that sandwich generation that you mentioned before is you know, people that are dealing with their own children and then they're dealing with their parents at the same time and they're trying to navigate parenting on one side and then being the being the sort of newer parent to your elderly parents as they age and they need much more help from you. And it's a very stressful time. I mean, I've been through it multiple times because of my parents and my husband's parents. And you can get overwhelmed and you can feel like I'll never get out of this season, but it is just a season. And when I was in the middle of that, I kept saying to myself, these are the people who took care of me when I needed care, and now it's my turn. And I think it does help your mindset somewhat if you think this is just a season, and it's important season, because how you end with elderly parents is so important to your own peace of mind as um, their lives come to an end eventually. So one of the reasons, Carmen, it's so hard for people when you go through that is because when you start to see your your own parents decline, it brings up a sense of your own mortality. And while people aren't always aware of that, uh, that is a bit of what is causing some of the stress uh, inside of, of you as you watch them decline and you think that one day that could be me. And then it raises questions of who will be there for me. And with we have a very different society than when my parents um, were were in their decline. They were from the same small town in Michigan, where they knew everybody, and everybody came around and rallied to help as well. And all my relatives were there around them. And now we have, like in my case, I don't live anywhere near my children uh, because of jobs. We're all very, uh, you know, parted and and we're in different places. And so. It's a very, very different system, but you start thinking about all those things. And then for the people that are listening who have unresolved issues with their parents, when they suddenly start needing more of your time and more of your care, then all those unresolved issues come flooding back to you. And there may be remorse, there may be, you know, might have been abuse or mental illness, and now you've got even more responsibility. And with this reversal of roles, it can be very stressful. And honestly, people can get very overwhelmed. And even in the best circumstances, and I even give this lecture to future doctors where I tell them the caretaker can burn out and can feel very stressed. And you need to pay attention to the caretaker of someone who's in need uh, in terms of their aging concerns and, and physical and mental health. 
pay attention to them because they're struggling and they're feeling overwhelmed and they need some support and some help and assistance as well. I think the the range of things about which we need help and assistance today in, th- in terms of thinking through things, um, I, it's just endless. I mean, there's it, it's as if every day there's kind of a new social challenge to to deal with and handle. Um, and in and they're emerging in our own families, they're emerging in our churches, they're emerging in our work relationships. Um, there's, I don't, I don't really have a question in all of that, Linda. I just, it's an observation. I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of a young person who yesterday at church, you know, I just, I saw him and I know he's been, you know, he's home for the summer and he's been working a job and he's headed back to college. And I said, you know, was one way that I can pray for you. And he's like, I've, I've got this person at work who's, you know, presenting as as transgender. And I'm, um, you know, it, it's hard. It's complicated. It's, um, you know, I'm not everybody just treats her like her. And then he's like, but everybody also knows he, she, you see, you see the complexity, right? And, and yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, the emerging generation is dealing with this in real time at a very young age with not yeah. a lot of resources being offered to them by us. Yeah, and that's really a, a heart that I have, especially for the college age and the the young um, the young adults in their twenties. I, I really, what we need to do is get back to a solid, solid foundation of what they believe. And unfortunately, at least this is my just in my opinion, is I've seen way too many youth groups when they were growing up who focused on entertainment mm-hmm. and fun stuff and didn't focus enough on teaching them a biblical way to think and an apologetic for their faith. And so I am passionate about that area. And I have worked in Sunday school classes with college age students to say, what do you believe and why do you believe? And mm-hmm. it, it's interesting as I teach, teach ethics and I and I look at this, if you understand your biblical worldview, it really does direct you in ways to interact with people, to make decisions, to think about the complex problems that are going on. But you have to dig in to the Bible, understand that, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because there are times when you don't have a word at the moment, but the Holy Spirit can bring you something to say out of that love that you have for Christ, and He can give you that moment to, to you know, interact with that person or say just the right thing, or calm you down and give you peace and anxiety, you know, peace instead of anxiety. So, in the complexity of how fast the world is changing, how quickly in our generation, Things have moved from a very big acceptance to Judeo-Christian values to now we're almost outliers in the culture. We have to know how to navigate this, and that's going to require us, I think, going back to the basics, really study the Word and get people equipped to have an answer in time when um, we're on the spot and we have to do things. And I know I'm much more reliant on the Holy Spirit these days to give me those things when I feel stuck and I don't know what I'm supposed to say. But I know the Spirit knows what to say and can help me through that process. But I have to be in tune and I have to be digging into the Word and staying, uh, you know, intimate in my relationship with Christ. And we don't see that a lot in our culture. We don't have anybody in the media or any kind of you know, place where young people are looking that's going to talk about that unless they're dealing with people of faith, and we need to be in their lives doing that. So you um, you gave us a great list, and you actually gave it to us more than once. Um, you talked about uh, the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to not only work within you, but speak through you. You talked about being grounded in the Word of God, actually knowing what you believe and why you believe it, and having that being centered on God's revealed word, allowing God to continue to speak through the word 
through which he's already spoken. You talked about an intimate relationship with Christ. You framed that as a personal relationship once and then an intimate relationship. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll add to that, and I know this is important to you as well, an ongoing connection to Christian community. We've got to mm, be in this yes. together. We've got to be in this yep. together. So, um, which sort of circles us all the way back around to, um, to our conversation about aging well. Let's not try to do this in isolation. Let's be intimately connected to Christ. And because we are members of his body, let's be connected to one another. Linda, thank you so much for this connection today. Always great to talk to you. And yes, belonging and community for everybody. And in the church, that's ultimately important. That's what Jesus decided was a good idea, was to build a church. <laughs> Thanks, Carmen. Amen. Always good to talk Amen. to you. And he's still building it. He's still building it. That's Amen. Right. Amen. Right. All right. Um, from one living stone to another. That's Dr. Linda Mental. You can listen to her on the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, you can also check out what she has written and is writing today at drlindamental.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a moment uh, for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. What's going on this summer? Uh, my Matthew said yesterday as the gal behind us at church, you know, said to him, hey, you getting ready for your senior year? Are you excited to start school next week? And Matthew's eyes got really wide and he's like, next week, it's, but it's still summer. And she said, you know, summer's over. And he, he just, it's just like it went way too fast. It hasn't been enough of it. Um, he's, he's not wrong. Um, but how have you used your summer? How has God used this summer in the life of students? You know, um, the hopes that you had at the beginning of the summer, you know, how have those gone? Have you, have you done the things this summer you had hoped to do? We're going to talk with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek next. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul about, you know, you know, what he hopes his students are doing over the summer and what he hopes incoming freshmen are doing right now. And, um, maybe what he hopes we're doing as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Both of my alma maters uh, have new college and then university presidents. That's kind of fun. Dr. Corbett Horbeek, no really, no longer really the new president. I mean, we've got enough uh, tread now on his uh, Northwestern <laughs> shoe that we don't consider him new anymore, but he's still shiny. Dr. Corbin Hornbeek here. He's the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is the parent ministry of Northwestern Media, of which Faith Radio is a part. So there you go. He's my big boss. Mm-hmm. Good morning, sir. <laughs> well, good morning. How are you, Carmen? Corbin, I'm really, really, I'm really well. Thank you good. so much. We at our house have been doing what um, other people across the country have been doing, and that is putting all the things together that are necessary for um, a, a student to have a dorm room that hopefully works for them. So what are you hoping that those incoming freshmen are doing right now? <clears throat> wow. Well, um, as we, <laughs> we were just talking a moment ago off air, uh, there, there is something uh, about a dorm room <laughs> that um, you know, how do you how do you fit everything from your home into a college dorm room? It's like a you know slightly bigger than a prison cell, <laughs> right? And, uh, right? and and it has to be, especially if it's your daughter, it has to be it has to be decorated a certain way. And they're of course they're working with their you know new roommate. They've got to coordinate the comforter covers and the pillowcases and the teddy bears and all that stuff. So I, I don't know how you've done it this summer, but it is it's, a uh, it is a miracle of the dorm room, right? It is. It is. It's the miracle of the dorm room, and <laughs> I don't. I, do, I keep I keep looking at the at that 
at the accumulated things, you know, right? And I'm just yeah. like, I, if it if it doesn't all fit in a car, how's it all going to fit in a dorm room? Somehow, so, somehow it does. I, and then, and then when you leave as parents, you you close the dorm room door and you run, right? And change change your phone number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, I can so, I can I can remember when we dropped our oldest son off at college. When I say we dropped him off at college. Um, he was going. He was going to college where I was working at the time, out in Southern California. So I can't really say we dropped him off and left and went, you know, back across the country or anything like that. And when we dropped him off, we stood in a family. Maybe I've shared this story on air. I can't remember. But we we stood in in a circle as a family. We held hands and we prayed, and the tears just rolled down our cheeks. And I thought, I'll I'll see him on Monday morning. Uh, he'll be back this weekend to do his laundry. So it's, it is not the distance. Uh, it's the transition. It's a, the change of a time of life. And, and as parents, of course, you know, we're thinking, have we done everything that we could possibly do to prepare them for this time of life? And of course, we haven't. Um, hopefully, we've done our job. Um, but there's no such thing as doing everything you can possibly do to to prepare them fully for, because God has something in store for them over the next four years, five years, whatever, that we couldn't possibly anticipate. Um, so it's an incredible, <clears throat> incredible time of transition of life, isn't it? Yeah. And whether or not you've got a student who's headed off to school, or maybe you've got yeah. um, a, a young um a young person who's headed off to the military. I had that experience, Corbin, um, last yeah. weekend traveling home from Pennsylvania. The kid sitting next to me was, yeah. you know, on his way to boot camp yeah. in the Marine Corps. And I'm thinking, wow, wow. like, right? His, his, in 13 <clears throat> weeks, he's going to be a, <clears throat> literally a different person. A different person. Um, yeah. And that's true. Like, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take that long for that change. It's not just a change of scenery mm. and, and the group of people you're now living with and the place yeah. you're living but it's the teaching you're sitting under and all the experiences that you will have. And that 13 weeks is, I mean, it's, there's something strangely weird about that amount of time. Um, But they really do become different. And so Mm. I think that we all need to prepare ourselves for that. Part of that, part of that standing there crying, even though, you know, he wasn't your son in this case, wasn't going to (laughs) be geographically that far away. Part of it's just recognizing that, the influences that they will now be exposed right. to and they will be dealing with and the decisions they will be making are all their own. Yeah. But I also want our young people to hear us say, we're still available. And that's a part of what I think is such a blessing, um, uh, particularly at schools like yep. um, UNW, right? Like mm-hmm. there, there are trustworthy adults yeah. who are available um, so talk with talk with us yeah. about what you hope your returning students are doing this summer and some of the things maybe they've taken from UNW into their own homes and communities. Yeah. <clears throat> well, interestingly enough, uh, my wife Heather and I were having dinner with a couple of students on Friday night this past week and just had an opportunity to take two guys out that we've gotten to know and uh, shared a fun meal uh, with them. And they're both going into their senior year. And so we had a chance to, in some ways, sort of project forward, like a year from now, a year from now, you won't be, you won't be, you'll always be part of the Northwestern family, but you will be on your own. And 
Um, you'll have to, for the, the main point of the conversation, we were talking about building community. Um, you know, it, when in the context of Northwestern and a Christian college or university, a lot of that community is, is a table that's set for you. Uh, of course, you build your own friendships and decide where you're going to invest in terms of your, your friendships and relationships. But it is a table that's, that's intentionally set that includes both spiritual community and fun community, relationship community. But you're growing and developing and you have faculty who are speaking into your life. But once you step outside of that community, you, you have to prepare yourself along the way uh, to create community um, in an environment that's not going to give it to you, you have to be really intentional about that. So as I think about what I what I really hope and pray for our students as they're coming back, as they're preparing, that they come with a heart to give themselves and, and allow themselves into some of those uncomfortable spaces um, that defines uh, true biblical and Christian community, uh, where our lives bump up against other people's lives and our faculty, you know, we allow them to speak into our lives. We allow our campus pastors and our RAs and RDs and people on campus, our students, we allow them that space to to speak into our lives, some of the things that we need to see that we don't see, some of the things that we don't see in our lives that other people do see. Uh, that that represent areas of hope. So, uh, you know, that it seems to be a recurring theme, this idea of building biblical community or Christian community, uh, because it's something that we'll take through the whole of our lives. And it's intentional. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen accidentally. Exactly. It doesn't happen accidentally in our own homes. It doesn't happen yep. without intention on a college campus. And so if you're listening right now and you're, you're kind of wondering, maybe even have a little um, trepidation and fear about the coming school year, we want to encourage you today. We want to encourage you to um, to pray about it, not just by yourself, but pray with someone else about it. Just be willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling kind of anxious. I'm feeling kind mm-hmm. of nervous. Um, would you pray with me? Um, invite other people into what you're feeling. Um, tell them what mm-hmm. you're hoping and listen to them as they encourage you and tell you all the ways in which um, they are holding out hope for you Um, as you are moving through this portion of your journey of discipleship. Um, Corbin, I'm just aware that, you know, when we think about the summer, I think about the college students who I know and the various ways they have spent their summer now, you know, drawing pretty quickly to a conclusion. Yeah. Um, And I'm thinking about not only the things that they've learned and the jobs that they've done and and the trips they've taken and the experiences that they've had, um, but the ways in which they have listened with a different kind of ear to those who are more mature than them mm. and the things that they have taught us if we have been willing to to listen and learn. Yeah. That transition that takes place when a college student comes home for the summer is pretty significant. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there... Um you know we've we've talked before and i'm sure some of your other guests on this show have talked about the <clears throat> how how um adolescence is a very different time of life than it was uh, perhaps uh, Carmen and Paul when we're all close to about the same age like adolescence was maybe 4 or 5 years and now it seems like it's this 10 year period of of transitory of time into a different stage of life one of the things that is um so important in this new time of adolescence uh, young people, whether it's you know someone in high school or someone going off into the military or someone moving into the college time of life or the working time of life, they need 
adult mentors. And Mm -hmm. there is a hunger, and I I mean that, there is a hunger for adults um, not to tell them what to do and script out their life and correct them every time they make a mistake, but someone to who has some some wisdom, uh, someone who has some life experience, someone who is deep in their faith, to be a mentor. And this is this is a personal passion of mine. Um, it's a um, it's something that I have experienced the benefit of people who have literally mentored me. Um, and I came out of a broken home, and so I need that more than. Um, I need that more than maybe other people, but I think every single person in this world um, can be a mentor and needs to be a mentor. And adolescents today, boy, there's there's a gazillion options available to them. Uh, There were far fewer options when we were coming out of college. It's like, go to college, get a job. And it doesn't matter what job it is, just get a job. And in today's world, the options are limitless. And I think also living in a world that, you know, where they've grown up, where truth is relative. I would say, honestly, our young, our young people, our, our Christian young people um, uh, live in a world that is, there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of options. And navigating their way through that is incredibly stressful. And so having a mentor, being a mentor, um, you can you can accelerate that process through adolescence uh, into into the twenty somethings, uh, and it's it's a it is a blessing uh, to be able to be involved in young people's lives. Absolutely, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek here in just a moment. He's a college president, and that has recently been described as the toughest job by a guy who has had some pretty tough jobs. So. <laughs> Is being a college president really the toughest job? We're going to find out next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. So, William McRaven, Admiral William McRaven, um, has done a lot of things over the course of his long career. He might be best known in the culture for overseeing America's special operations forces, leading the raid um, that killed Osama bin Laden, among other things. He also, for a number of years, um, served as the chancellor of the University of Texas system. And so he was, at some level, um, like the boss of a bunch of college presidents. I think there are like 16 of them, if you uh, if you look across the uh, the Texas system. And he described their job as the toughest job in the world. Of all the things that he has ever done, of all of the roles that he has ever had, he says the toughest job in the nation is the one of leading an academic or health institution as their president. And then um, a number of years later, he was asked, you know, was that hyperbole? Did you just say that as like a, you know, going away gift to those um, people who were in those roles? And he's like, no, I mean, I stand beside that. Um, The complexity of the job of serving as a college president um, and all the constituencies you deal with day by day and all of the decisions you have to make day by day. There's just no no harder job than this one. So um, I thought I would ask Dr. Corbin <laughs> Hornbeek, who is a college president here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, do you think you have the toughest job out there? <laughs> well, it is the, the, the toughest job uh, that you will ever love. And if you don't love it, uh, you should not do it. Um, 
what I what I will say to that is that you just mentioned a moment ago um, about the complexity of constituents. I don't know of any industry or or job that has more constituents, um, uh, and somebody's irritated with you at any given point, uh, and particularly in higher ed. You know, you have governmental agencies, you've got alumni, you've got faculty, staff, students, parents, donors. Um, you've got such this, this incredible diversity of constituents and everybody and everybody wants something. Everybody wants you to do something. Everybody hopes you'll make a certain decision. Um, and and generally, if you don't make that decision that they you know, hope you'll make, they'll tell you. If you happen to make the decision that they appreciate, oftentimes they don't tell you. So you're, you're oftentimes left wondering. Um, what makes it joyful for me, um, Carmen, is, is being able to put those voices in the background and recognize that we, we have a mission, and that mission is the mission that God's given us. So we play to an audience of one. Uh, we, we recognize and, and receive input from a lot of different constituents, um, but we have to keep the, our eye on the ball on mission. And as long as we continue to, uh, to focus on <clears throat> the mission that God's given us, and, and in summary for University of Northwestern, that's preparing God-honoring God leaders for our home church community and our world. That's our mission. And so we're not going to get pulled off mission on that. But, yes, it is an incredibly taxing job, and there's a lot of disruption going on in, in higher education. Um, but I, I, I wake up every morning, and my heat, feet hit the floor, and I can't wait to get on campus. And uh, so it, it is a job that I absolutely love. And when I say that, I love it. People oftentimes say they love their job. I get like a kind of a – energy in my heart and my mind and my soul uh, when I wake up in the morning and I'm happy that it's Monday morning. That playing to an audience of one, I'm so glad that you said that. Not everybody listening uh, may be familiar with what that means or or what that looks like. Um, you, you have a lot of constituencies. You yeah. listed many of them, but there are several more. Um, yeah. and, um, and yet, when you say you play to an audience of one, you are reflecting there something that Paul talks about in the scriptures. So can you can you describe yeah. to folks, well, who is the one? Yeah. Don't, let's not assume that everybody knows that. Right. What does it mean to live my life for the applause or before an audience <clears throat> of one? Yeah. Well, Paul, <clears throat> Paul is really clear that, um, uh, you know, when, when you begin to adjust your uh, your thoughts or your decisions or your worldview uh, to either other people or the shift of culture, you're in grave danger of going off track as it relates to the gospel. And I, I always think of, in terms of the gospel, and I'm, I'm going to answer the question directly, but I, but I, as I think of the gospel, the gospel is always um, countercultural. In other words, there's always going to be a line that the gospel comes up against um, that is going to force us into some uh, some places where we say uh, we can't go there. Um, on the other hand, the the gospel is always uh, culturally relevant, and so there's that complexity with the gospel. It doesn't mean that we live in gray areas. It's um, there's a real clarity to that. But when I say that I 
that we play to an audience as one. It's not just me by myself, but it's the entire organization, the University of Northwestern, Northwestern Media. Our eyes and our focus have to be on the Lord Jesus Christ, period. When we begin to um, allow our, ourselves to be influenced by culture, um, <clears throat> we will drift. Uh, when we allow ourselves to be influenced by uh, perhaps where um, uh, financially, uh, with you know decisions that could be made that might seem financially benefit but not on mission, uh, we will drift. Um, when we begin to allow ourselves to be perhaps influenced by some decisions that are being made in, in the political world or government, um, that's one of our you know we we receive funding from the state and, and federal government, and that's one of our constituents. Um, if we begin to take our eye off our mission that is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we, we can drift. So that's, I would say, what is my job number one? My job number one is uh, to steward the Christ-centered mission of the University of Northwestern, Northwestern Mission, or Northwestern Media. That's job number one. Um, and so that's what it means to, to play to an audience of one. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ every single day, every moment of every day. So good. So helpful. What a blessing. Um, as always, can we pray for you as you head into this new school year? Please do. Thank you, Carmen. Father, thank you so much for our brother Corbin. Thank you for the particular calling you have uh, placed upon his life. Thank you for the joy with which he labors. Thank you for his partnership in the gospel. We ask a fresh anointing and blessing upon him and upon um, everyone who is engaged in academic Christian mm. um, ministry. We thank you in particular for um, everyone engaged in in this ministry at the University of Northwestern and upon each student and their family and the future filled with hope you have planned for each one. Let us walk together um, in this coming academic year in a way that honors you and glorifies you and expands your kingdom um, in this generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you Thank so you, much, brother. Carmen. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Good to be with you this morning. Yeah, likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, I want to share with you a little testimony on the text line this morning from Cecile. As you are um, facing this new academic year, whether you're a teacher or not, um, you know, we all recognize it's a major transition in our lives culturally and at our churches um, Cecile entered this particular summer as the first summer without her husband, who was also a fellow teacher. And she um, she says, I entered it acknowledging to God that I was anxious about what it would hold, but trusting that he was in control. Now she says school resume, resumes for teachers at my school tomorrow. And so today I'm reflecting on God's goodness and faithfulness to me throughout the summer's new chapter. Tomorrow will present once again another new chapter, my first uh, of a school year without my husband. And so once again, I'm acknowledging my anxiousness to God, leaning on his faithfulness and equipping and taking with me the past three months of his tangible nearness, his great and precious promises, grateful in the journey, excited to engage with the five-year-old little ones that um, that uh, for God to use me to make him known in their little lives. Thank you for your prayers. Cecile, we are praying with you and for you. Um, thank you for your witness and testimony here um, among us. Thank you um, for all that God is going to do in and through every single teacher, coach, administrator, um, classroom aide, bus driver, parent-teacher organization, school, ad uh, school administrators, district administrators, uh, you know, all the people, all the things. 
yeah, blessings on each of you this day. Let's go walk our faith out into the world that God so loves, living this day in light of that day. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.